It was very, very short. Um, I thought coming from an emergency background and uh, having people physically abuse and demanding uh, that I could handle something that was demanding, but I didn't have to have people verbally abuse me or physically abuse me. So I decided to try this out. And it has always been in the back of my mind. Uh, as an interest, I wanted to take forensic courses. And uh, I had one of the physicians that I used to know told me that I probably would not like it because um, even though I had high interest in it, she didn't think I could handle people that uh, in scenes where the car was on fire and there was burnt bodies. And I thought, well, I need to try this out for myself. And uh, my time as a coroner was very, very short because of these kind of things. Um, when they talk about PTSD, one of my cases was supposedly questionable homicide. And um, it was like, it was my, I would say, third week in as a coroner. And um, I was called to a crime scene. The crime scene was almost like deja vu. It was like watching CSI. You, yes, you have your bag and you have your clothes or your overalls. These were um, overalls that were paper over, disposable overalls. And I had gone to the scene. There was blood all over the place. Um, walked in, and um, they were still doing the investigation. Asked me to just view the scene, and but I could not examine the body completely. So I did that, and um, I went home. Probably about eight hours later, they called me back because they were ready for me to examine the body. Um, I had gone in, examined the body, but it had probably been close to 20 hours that body had been laying there. And I had to do it with just another person helping me, but it, the smell and, and the scene and, and just going through doing what I did really affected me. Uh, there was no support whatsoever. I, I came out of there, um, came home. My clothes were just, they, they stunk, right? So I disposed of that. And I said to, to my husband at that time, I said, I don't think I can do this. I entered this line of health care to help people. Um, I thought this would be for me because it was quiet, but it wasn't. It, it I, I like the questioning what happened, the, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. But the effect on me, and to this very day, when I drive by, it strikes me sometimes. I still think about it. I still think, wow, you know, it, it, it affected me. And so that night we had two, three cases. And you have to stay with these people um, till they are picked up by the funeral home. The thing that I did really, really like about this was you have a chance to help the families go through the grieving process. And a lot of these people don't have that opportunity. They don't know who to touch base with when something happens to them.
So it was really, really interesting. It was also interesting that you always have um, a police person that stays with you until that person has gone to the funeral home. So you do have that support. But it was quite um, funny that night. I still remember it. Um, the policeman that was with me said to me, do you think you'll ever come back to this? So he knew. He knew how I felt. And it was really, it was interesting that he did care, right? And I, and I said to him after that, I said, I don't think so. I would have to think about this, right? But it, it's interesting because, you know, there's only certain people that you see at these crime scenes or even just normal scenes where you find a body that's um, either frozen to death or something happened to them, right? And um, the people that sometimes, the, the naive, naiveness, I guess, of uh, funeral people, you know, that come and pick up the body. And, and uh, for instance, we found somebody in a, a back alley. And, uh, and it's also interesting, um, this is a lady that was walking her dogs, passed away, and um, her dogs protected her. They sat with her, kept her body warm, Till she was discovered. It was really quite sad, but it's, you learn when you have a pet how loving they can be and how protective of their owners they are, right? But it was interesting also that um, this lady had, like I said, died in somebody's yard, backyard, right? And uh, the person that came to pick her up said, well, we should notify the people in this house. And I'm going, why would you do that? If I found a body or somebody found a body in my backyard, I don't want to know about it because that would probably haunt me for the rest of my life. And people don't think like that. So it's really, really quite interesting. But anyway, so, so you know, after that night, I thought about things and, uh, yeah, put in my resignation. I, after I helped the family and, and to deal with their crisis, I... I put in my resignation. It was not something I was used to rescuing people. And this was totally the other end of the spectrum where these people were passed away and I could never help them. So it was very, very interesting. Yeah, you almost felt helpless. Yes. Yeah. How did you develop that sensitivity for, for others? I think you know, it's really, really interesting that you asked that. Um, it took me a long, long time. Chinese culture is different. And, and you may know that, right, to a certain extent. Um, Chinese culture, the people are always, you grow up and, and they always say you have to be staunch, right? You never show emotions, you have to be staunch. Um, I went through nursing never showing emotions. It took me a long, long time to learn that, you know what, you can shed a tear, you can have feelings for your patients, you can, um, it's not a crime, right? Um, when I grew up, there was no such thing as hugging in the family. It was, um, growing up, it was all business orientated, right? Chinese families come to Canada. Um, I was a first generation Canadian. We grew up in work, work, work. That was a work ethics. There was none of the um, hugs, kisses, I love you, 
you know, those kind of things. Grew, grew up without any of that. Um, it was a small town, so it's harder. The older generation, it was harder in that we never closed for vacation. Um, the philosophy is different in that if we close our doors, we'll lose our customers. So we never closed our doors. It was never the, like, the generations today where everybody shuts down for a week, goes away, needs that mental break. We never, ever got that. Um, never closed our doors, never never went on the vacations. If we did, we went an hour into the city to buy groceries and come back, right? So there was none of that. If we got to go um, to, in those days, it was Army and Navy, the, the department store. If we got to go there, that was wild. It was it was. It was awesome. You, you got to go and shop. But, you know, it was really quite funny because all you shopped for was fabric because then they made your clothes for you, right? My mom had a seamstress and she would make our clothes. So it wasn't, let's buy. And, you know, so you went through and you had the clothes for, you wore the same thing for two, three days, maybe a week, right? And, and, and so it was really quite interesting in those days. But anyways, back to feelings, um, you never got to learn what it was to have feelings or to have a hug or or any of that stuff. We grew up to uh, make money for our education, to make sure that we had a good education for our future. So when I was nursing, it was always, there was no feelings until one day somebody passed away, they died, and uh, I said to them that your loved one has passed away, never used died, and now they say you can use the word die, right? It, it's more right to the point instead of passed away because I thought passed away was more nicer way of saying it, right? And then um, in some ways I developed attachment to this person. And I said to myself, it's okay, you can shed a tear. I gave myself the okay to shed a tear. And from that moment on, then I realized a person can have emotions, they can show emotions, and you can show the love for your mankind and, and the humility, and, and, you know, it's part of life. How did you decide that at that moment it's time to cry? I think because I saw family members crying and the love connection between them, and so it allowed me to do that because you knew you became um, connected to family members, right? And then it showed them that, you know what, I'm also a human and that I also have emotions. It's not a cold-hearted, um, it's not cold-hearted, I'm not a cold-hearted person, I guess. And I have feelings too. And people always think that in healthcare, you shouldn't have feelings, right? You're, you're there to help us go through these emotions. These um, You're there to guide us. But sometimes, you know what? Yes, we're here to guide you. We're here to give you direction and, and give you information. But we, too, have feelings. And, and so it, I, I guess it's always people say you have to be disconnected. And you don't have to be disconnected. You have to have some connection to the person that you're caring for. If you're disconnected from that person, then you shouldn't be in that job or, you, you know, it, it's, 
to a point that you, it's not about life in some ways. As you get older and as you travel down the pathways of what life offers you, you learn a lot. What you thought was wrong before is turns into a right because you were in the wrong direction. It's development, I guess, right? We all in life have pathways we choose. We can choose to go right, left, or down the middle. And so you, you learn these things. It's not, it doesn't come instantly, but you, it's life's experiences. Yeah, definitely. And when you're grieving with that family, it kind of gave you permission to feel. That's right. And it, I think it made them feel that, yeah, you know what, that person's okay. Like it, it's, uh, we can grieve the way that we want to, right? Yeah. So in the textbook, they teach you to be disconnected? No, they don't. You know what? When I went through school, they didn't have any of that, right? I, I can remember I, I was, um, it was really quite interesting because I just took, um, I, I went for my degree in physiology and uh, there was no research job. So I decided that because my parents were paying for my education, right? The first education, um, I had no job. So I decided that I'd do nursing as a as a quick fix, right? It's really quite interesting because in when I was growing up, when I went home, I was I always hired as a an aide for the hospital. So those were you know my experiences were it was interesting. Um, I I kind of learned from that what I kind of wanted to do, but I also learned that um, there was a lady that was a nurse that really woke me up and, and made me angry. Um, she put me in a room with a patient that was dying. And I was, like, again, I was naive. Um, so I, sa- I says, what do I do? And she goes, just talk to that person, right? That's what she said, just talk to that person. So I went in, and I sat, and I talked to this person, and talked to this person. And you know how you just do small talk, how the day was, what the clouds are like, that kind of stuff. And then this lady, this nurse, came in, and she says, you can leave now. She's dead. And I sat there and I thought, my God, I'm talking to a dead person. And I never knew because I would have talked about different things. Right? And I, I was kind of in shock. And I thought to myself, I don't think I ever, ever want to be like her. Because that's not how you treat people. You need to make people aware of what's happening around them for them to acknowledge and take in the situation. So from that point, um, when I didn't couldn't find a job, I went to Kelsey, and it was hands-on. It was the two years, and I enjoyed every moment of it because every moment was changing all the time. So that's um, that was a caring factor. And then I decided to, I wanted administration, and uh, couldn't get into administration because all I had was diploma, I guess. And so I took administration courses, and um, I was talking to a gal that was going to university, and she said, oh, she says, I can't believe my first year we had to read a romance novel, a nurse-doctor romance novel, and analyze it. And I thought, what? Because <laughs> it wasn't a reality of the situation, right? That's not what life is all about. This is a written novel. Like, who in the heck ever recommended something like that or thought of something like that in the administration course 
Yeah, no, in the nursing course, first year nursing at the university. And I thought, holy, but I mean, it's probably changed now I, over the years, right? Because that was not even realistic. I mean, it's a professional relationship. Those romance novels is not professional. <laughs> Part of the curriculum. Yeah, yeah how, it was. How long ago was this? This was um, long, long ago. 40 years ago, 30, 30 years ago, 30 to 40 years ago. So 70s, 80s? Yes, in the 80s, in the 80s. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that the students going to school now? Do you think they would ever pick up a Harlequin romance book? <laughs> Especially if it was part of the curriculum. There'd be, yeah. there'd be questions getting asked. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the best part about being in nursing? Best part? Helping people. Um, giving them guidance. Uh, seeing their, seeing them get better, right? And being there for, um, how do I say it? Even end of life to be there for the support system, um, to be able to give them places that they can go to for help. I, I don't think we're educating people enough today on what is available in the communities or encouraging them to utilize what's in the communities for their benefit. I, I think when you're in the hospital system, it's so easy for us as nurses to give you direction, right? Um, in that we, we can give you the direction, but if we haven't ever experienced it, why are we telling you something we have never experienced, right? Um, we, it's like, for instance, this is a, a good example. You have a, a brand new baby, first baby. They can come to, as a nurse, I can come in and say, you know what, you can do this, this, and this for your baby, and you can bathe your baby like this, yada, 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 and we give you all this direction. When we walk out of that room, we're done with you. Which is totally true, right? So... When you go home, they don't tell you. When you're in a controlled environment in the hospital, if the baby's crying, a nurse will come along and they'll, she'll bundle your baby, she'll cuddle your baby, and she'll give you the, yeah, you rest. But they don't tell you that when you come home and you open that door and that baby's screaming, who's there? There's nobody there. You're on your own, honey. I, I think we need to change some of these things. You know, when we send people home, we need to make sure that they're okay. It's not it's not, not like don't treat me like I'm just a number. Right? I am a human being. I'm a person and I do need that support. You know what? Um I I never got educated on some of that stuff as an a lay person. So we have to sometimes change the direction and say, okay, you know what? Yes, I'm a nurse. I have all this knowledge base, but I'm talking to a lay person. When that lay person leaves my facility, it's going to be a shock out there. And every family has different dynamics. So you need to understand the dynamics of that family. It, it, you just can't click your fingers and say, out the door you go. Because you know that maybe three, four days after, they're going to be coming back or they're going to go see, go seek support from somebody, right, to say, I need help. So that 
the, the system has set up for some of that support, but I don't think sometimes there's enough of it. There's not enough of the education system that's out there so that these people are not returning on a regular basis for little things, for the minor things in life, because they haven't been, um, they, they, they haven't been, I guess sometimes you tell them, but because of backgrounds, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know what somebody's background, what is going to be um, normal for them or what is not normal for them. And we don't know what dynamics are in play. Right? Yeah, you're just giving them, hey, I'm going to check the boxes, teach you this. Yes. It almost seems you're teaching them how to drive, but in a parking lot. Yes. Yes. We it's... need to take them out in traffic and get them used to it, or at least show them, hey, if something happens, what can you do? And That's right. And we don't do that. And, and it's interesting you say that because it makes me chuckle because um, I, my husband bought me a, a standard car and he's trying to teach me how to drive freaking standard. And you know how standards are. You put the brakes on and it dies, right? Whatever. It get, just kept stalling out, stalling out. And I thought, no, no, I, I need to learn on my own. So I took it out and uh, <laughs> I took it out for a drive and, and I taught myself. Came home and says, I got a surprise for you. Let's go. So we went out driving and we went into, I can see this shopper's drug mart. And we were going in the parking lot and I was turning the corner and there was a guy that was backing up, but I don't think he saw me. But then I panicked and the car stalled out. <laughs> this guy is coming towards me. And I'm looking for the bloody horn. I couldn't find the horn. <laughs> And the guy saw me, and I thought, okay, I start the car, keep going. And then he's backing up again, and let's go, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and we got out of that situation, and the first thing that my husband said to me, he goes, next time you take a car out, just make sure you know where the horn is. <laughs> you froze under pressure. I froze under pressure, but I didn't know where the horn was. If I knew where the horn was, it would be totally different, right? I could honk the horn, and the guy would be aware. But because I had no horn, I didn't know where the horn was. I couldn't make the guy aware and I was panicking. Yeah. So, well, you were doing so many other things at once too. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why, you know, when you have a patient that's ill or, you know, family have been underneath a lot of stress, um, they're burnt out because, you know, all the factors that come into it, you throw them back in that situation. What are they supposed to do? They have no, you know, so... Most families, because they're so burnt out or underneath duress, they need somebody to call and say, this is happening. Help me. Right? Yeah. Show me something I can be doing to help me cope or yes. give me some direction. That's right. Yeah. And you find that's lacking currently? I think so. I think with COVID too, um, you know, we talk about the mental diseases and things like that. And... You know, we're doing virtual. I, I think people are lonely. So they lean on their physicians, right? Because you're home alone. And a lot of these people, I mean, when you look at the population of Saskatchewan, it's elderly. High population of elderly. We're not young anymore. You know what? There are elderly that are really active. And there's those elderly that go, well, you know what? I retire. I'm just going to sit here and watch TV all day long, and uh, my body will be resting, and that's all it's going to do. Well, you know, you have to realize that, yeah, you, you can do this, but it's good to exercise. 
Yeah, they need some movement and get it going. Yeah, and and we need to teach them that that you know what, do five minutes of walking per day. I I look at, um, hubby was told to do, he he's a mechanic and and he was told to do some exercise, even five minutes of walking. His philosophy is well, I go five minutes. Well, I work in the garage. I can I go up and down all day. So why should I walk? So there's no, you you, the how do I say it? The philosophy and the intentions, they can say yes to you. Your patient can say, yes, I'm going to do this when I get home. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. What's it the incentive? Might happen. What's the yeah. incentives? Right? So it may happen the first maybe one day, two days, and they go, this is really boring. I'm walking around the block like two, three times or, or in the middle of winter in Saskatchewan. Do you think I'm going to go out there at minus 40 with the wind blowing? There's no way I'm going to go out there. So, of course, if you stop one day and you stop two days, What's going to make you go out on the third day? Yeah, you, you're not catching any steam or anything. Either. No, and, and there's no um, there's no reward. Yeah. Right? Definitely. Or you, well, you don't see the, the, the progress legs behind the effort. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. When you said you enjoyed seeing people heal, mm-hmm. it's nice to see that, that part of it. What's something you saw that was that caught you off guard and somebody that was able to recover from? The last case that we did with you when you came to the house with that gentleman that had that frozen shoulder. And he has had that for how long? I like so I text you and sure enough and you came and within minutes the guy's got his shoulder moving and I'm just going, Holy crap. It didn't take a lot. It just took that moment of time in that I cared, I knew somebody, and even anybody that's out there, if they know somebody that's a friend or whatever, and you text them and say, can you help? I'm sure they can always find somebody to help you if they can't help. And that to me is really, really huge because that's what we're here for. We're here to help each other. It's not just, you know what? Yeah, that guy's just going to go, whatever looking at our own um, lifestyle, you know, like my husband helps people all over with their vehicles, right? And this winter has been a horrific winter with all the snow and everybody has problems with their snow blowers. And uh, he, he fixes, they, they roll it down in the neighborhood. They'll roll it down (laughs) from their home to our home. And one day we went out, we came home, there was three, not two, but three snowblowers sitting in front of her garage on the sidewalk where everybody walks by. And I was kind of in shock in that, why didn't somebody steal it? <laughs> they, they could have been stolen. They just kind of parked them all there. And, and he was laughing. He goes, there's no names on any of these. <laughs> so it's, it's quite funny. You, if you know somebody and you know that they're very helpful, they'll always come back, Right. And, and so they knew that, yeah, he's going to fix it. That's, that's no big deal, right? And, and, of course, they all knew his numbers, so no no notes on it. They just parked it in front of the garage. I thought, okay. <laughs> they knew he was going to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just that one moment where you decided you were going to let some feelings happen. So yeah. now you're in the community. You're trying to help more and more. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's a nice feeling. And and I think people, more and more people should do it. It's just like um, the pay it forward when you go to Tim Hortons and you pay the guy's coffee behind you, right? If I'm going and um, 
somebody behind me, I would pay for their, or the, yes, somebody behind me, I would pay for theirs because they have that order ahead of time. And, and it's kind of nice to know that you gave them a good feeling. And that good feeling, it perks up your day. And people don't realize that. No matter how poor, how rich a person is, you still need that little perk up. Yeah. And that surprise too, it just hits in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that's important in life. As we get older, we learn. Uh, we learn to give back. Even if it's a dollar or $2 for that coffee, I mean, I, I look at it, it's a dollar, two dollars that you won't miss, right? Because you, you, you went to Tim Hortons in the first place. What's, what's the big deal? Yeah. Right? You brighten somebody's day for extremely low cost, high return. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's those kind of little things. I mean, even, you know, sometimes you stop when you're on a walk and, and you see your neighbor and you talk to your neighbor and you talk about the day. It makes their day. You walk away and you feel better. Yeah, these little things, they all seem to add up. Right. And it was no cost to you, that's for sure, right? It was just you picking up somebody's day. When did you start doing just the little things? Because you're used to doing the big things at the hospital. I have been all along, but never really made note of it. I, I think sometimes, so, um, at the hospital, you give out information, you help people, but you, there's no return. Right? There's no, um, it, you see them, you get them better, you get them out the door. But there's no physical, mental return of saying, thank you very much for all you've done. Oh, there's less gratitude happening in That's the hospital. That's right. Yeah. Whereas, um, because people just want to get out of there. Well, now with COVID, I'm sure it's worse, right? People don't want to be there in the first place and they don't want to stay, you know. But I think before COVID, it was, you know, that the system was so overwhelmed with, and it still is now, right? People waiting in the hallways, people standing in lines, waiting two, three hours, sometimes five, six hours in, in the, in waiting to see a doctor. I mean, it, it's horrible. It's, it's not a nice thing. So when you get in, all you want to do is get looked at and some people want to stay, some people want to go home, right? So, and they want instant, instant relief, instant, everything's I think we're in such a, sometimes you kind of look at, is this a disposable society? Right? Yeah, everything's now, now, now. Yeah, now, now, now. I'm entitled, right? So I, I think we need to get back to the basics of life and, and say, you know what, be thankful for what you have. Yeah, and if you have more, try to give some. That's right. What did you see that was common with most people that came in? Education, education on what um, the hospital, the emergency unit is really for. It's not for minor emergency cases, right? Uh, it's, it's interesting because when I worked in California, um, the, they felt entitled and uh, I'm here, you help me, you tell me when I should take my Tylenol, et cetera, that kind of stuff. And then we have those on the other end of the spectrum that are not as educated, uh, lower income, and they don't have that, right? They don't have, um, they don't have the money for Tylenol, right? 
or they don't, they know that they need Tylenol for the babies or whatever. They don't have the money for that. Instead, they use it for other things. And I think there should be an education that, you know what, when you have a child, you need to look after your child. Um, I, I don't know. It's really, really hard to look at things in, it's, it's, I guess, you know what, it's easy to say than it is to do. Yeah, it's simple, not easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I can say it, but are you going to go out there and instead of spending money on junk food, are you going to make sure that you have Tylenol for the next time that your baby or your your little one has a, a fever? Instead of buying junk food or whatever, you should have something on hand. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's logical to those of us that understand it, but it's not logical to those that are, are struggling. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right? It's just like food on your table. I mean, people can say that, you know, we have no money for food. But, you know, when your person really looks at things, I mean, it's not expensive to buy pasta. Right? You can boil water. You can have pasta. You you know, it's better than going out and eating, right? You compare a McDonald's meal or whatever, and you can go home and you can buy frozen hamburgers or whatever and fry them. It's it's not a big deal. Yeah, you get more bang for your buck. That's right. So then what, so you were saying it's the education of when to actually use the emergency room? Right. So what's a case where you've seen somebody shouldn't be there? And what's a case where you've seen somebody, yeah, this person definitely needs to be there? A common cold. Don't come see me for a common cold. Or you um, a common cold and you have nothing in your house for your cold, right? Um, anybody with, you know, chest pains, whatever, that's emergency. So tightness? Yes, tightness of your chest, etc. You You need to go or perspirate, you know, with perspiration, those kind of things. Little uh, signs, symptoms of stroke, those are emergency cases. Get to the hospital. But when you have a, a cough, cold, slight fever... Go to a minor emergency. That that's I, I know it's easier said than done, and I know the minor emergencies. It's a waiting game there too. It's it's not. It's a waiting game everywhere. So logically, why would you back up an emergency room versus a minor emergency? What makes it so they don't send somebody who has a cold to minor emergency when they go to? Emergency? But it, it's not. When you come, you can't turn people away. When people need help, you can't turn people away, right? Well, so I can't not, turn. I cannot turn. You're we not allowed turn. to send them to minor emergency. No, you have to admit them. Yes, yes. You can suggest to them that you know what you have a cold. Your wait time at in a minor emergency. But then, what are you going to do on a weekend when the minor emergencies are closed? When you're sick, stay home, look after it, drink plenty of fluids, but don't come running into emergency because it. You're, you took your antibiotics, it was only, it's been two hours, four hours, whatever, or one day, and you think that it's going to resolve it. It's not going to resolve it. You've seen this happen? The, these are things that do happen, yes. What makes it so this happens? I think it's education. It's oh. education, people, just and expectations of people, right? Um, when you don't have a good education, and... Uh, and sometimes, you know, what I, I sometimes think that as health educators, sometimes we overwhelm people. If you give them a handout, if they can't read, what are you going to do? 
Right. Oh. And there are people who can't read out there. When you come in and you say you need to do this, this, and this, and this, and they're in there and they're sick, sometimes you can't absorb everything. And I don't know how to fix that. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, if I went in and I was really sick and I'm rolling around and, and you've given me something to take away my pain, and then you tell me this whole list, do this, this, and this, and this, and this, I bet you out of that whole list, it's just like me going shopping. I have three items. I'll remember two. So, so those are things that people have to, I guess the healthcare system has to understand, the educational system has to understand. You know, there's so much going on around us today that if we simplify things, it might be easier. You're describing these situations that are unimaginable for yourself and myself not knowing how to read or anything. That's right. You're saying there's people that don't know how to read and they have poor money management and they're coming to the emergency and you have to help them when there's other things that need to be done yes. as a, on the foundational level. That's right. Yeah, we, I think um, we've kind of skipped that to a certain extent, right? Yeah. What made you get out of nursing? Um, burnout. I was burnt out. I was burnt out with the system. Uh, I was burnt out with just listening to people and being abused. Um, the entitlement of people that came into emergency. You know, everybody wants a quick fix, right? And sometimes it's not a quick fix. When you come in, it's not a quick fix. You came to us for help, so I'm trying to help you, but I can't fix whatever ails you within 15, 20 minutes. And if you have to sit there for four or five hours, sometimes eight hours, I can't help that, right? You chose to come. If you have a cold and you want to be fixed right now, but the person that's coming in with a heart attack, he's going to go in before you. Do not come to me and tell me that you're angry because he came in before you or he got taken in before you. There's a reason for that. The, the logic is not there. Um, and I think that angered me, but it was also, it angered me that um, I couldn't help people the way I wanted to help people, or people never got the help that they needed. They need the help, or they don't need the help. They need you need to feel good that you helped them, or you don't feel good that you didn't, you couldn't help them, right? So it, it's that kind of burnout, and it's expectations, and it's looking at people that waited in hallways. It was trying to get people off stretchers. Um, it was. It was interesting to see how some of this progressed from the time that I started to the time that I quit, where the demand on the system, uh, because of the age of the people, um, people aging because of the drug use out there, it changed a lot over the years from a nice system that people respected, that people came in when they're really, really ill, to a system where um, it's a demand system, right? You owe me, you... I'm entitled to it. If I'm sick, I don't have to think for myself. You think for me. You fix me. That's your job. So they're really taking, making it so that you're doing an extra level of care. That's right. So what was the moment that you decided, hey, I'm out? When somebody came up to me and uh, they started kicking and spitting and saying that I was racist. 
and I had enough of it. I felt that I'm here to help you, but if you don't respect that, then you know what? I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing that on not just that moment, on a daily basis almost. Every time you go in, and because it's inner city, there are days where people scream and yell at you. I can't change that, right? I can't change the mentality of people. I can't change the waiting times. There's only so much a person can do. Yeah, you're one person in that whole system. That's right. And they're failing to understand that. Right. And when you see your colleagues being very tired too, it makes a big difference, right? Everybody's tired. Um, everybody's trying to do the best that they can with what we've got. And it's an, you can't fix that. Because it takes everybody in the same boat to try and fix it. Yeah. Right? On a systemic level, not That's just on right. a surface level. Right. And sometimes, you know, those people that are uh, upper echelon, sometimes I, I think they should come down and they should spend a day, those people working in emergency, spend a day following them or doing, not 15 minutes, spend six to eight hours with that person and go through the steps that they do to understand how it functions. Instead of saying, yeah, you know what, we saw this, you know, but, I mean, they're the ones that will come in and they'll expect top priority. Yeah, and when you're, do, when you're explaining, this is surprising that you are getting verbally and physically abused when you're trying to help somebody at the hospital. That's right. How did you handle that for so long? Smile. <laughs> you know what? You... you... You develop a, a tolerance to it, you know, to a certain extent, right? You do develop, you, you just smile and you, you try and look at the, not the humor of it, but you try and, and look at the better things of it, of the situation. You don't, you know, you, if you walk away angry, you're going to treat it as anger. And if you walk away saying with a calmness, you treat it as a calmness, right? So there are days you walk away, and there are days where you say to that person, you know what, I'm here to help you. I, I, you know, if you don't want to be helped, I, that, that's fine, right? So those are things that you really have to, after a while, it, it builds. And so it's, it's harder that way. Yeah, so you, when you were doing it, you had a positive outlook, but at the same time, you kind of got desensitized to... Yeah. The abuse. Yeah. And, and you became very, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because it's, it became hard at times too because you go home and your loved ones are at home and because you had a crappy day, you take it out on your loved ones. And to me, that's not what it's all about, right? Um, it, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to go home after having somebody spit, kick, and tell you that you're uh, the rudest person ever and go home to your loved ones and say, oh, you know what, honey? It, this happened today and they can only hear so much of it right and and so you know then you bank on friends and when you work in such an environment your friends are your healthcare workers everybody is the same way right so where's the support system there is no support system and and when you overwhelm your loved ones that you or your family I mean, I, I look at it um, 
you have kids. If you have kids and you come home, do your kids want to see an angry parent? No, they or, missed you. Yeah. You know, and so you can either look at it as taking venting from on your kids because they're not doing things the way you want, or you can look at it and, and just give them love, right? Love and support and, you know, and so those are things that you have to learn to balance. And, and, and yeah, I do believe in work balance, but how can you work balance when you're doing overtime, um, you know, and you're getting beaten up all the time at, at work? Mentally there, and physically. That's right. So to me, that it's really hard, and, and I feel bad. I feel bad for the, the people that are, are still in, or that are in the, still, not still, but that are in the healthcare system. They have gone through COVID. They have gone through crap that I never went through. Yeah, and you already went through crap, and then it yeah. got overloaded and it intensified the situation. Totally, totally, right? And, and you know, to, to do go through the masking and the gowning and the gloving and the washing and all that, I feel sorry for the the people that work in the healthcare system. I, I have the highest respect for those people because they have gone through everything to help the people that need help. It's I, I'm glad that I'm out of it, but uh, they don't deserve somebody saying, you guys are overpaid. I, I'm sorry. Walk a day in our shoes. See how long right? you last. And see how long you last and walk a day in their shoes or even the people that are out there on the ambulances. Spend a day with those people and see the crap that they go through. But unless you go and walk the walk, understand them. For sure. The amount of abuse that you've had to take and then you're saying your friends, you, you feel sorry for them still. This is something for sure I didn't know about. I didn't know you that happened. Yeah. I think it's like anything, um, Tony, like any job. You don't know what happens in those jobs until you've been in those jobs, right? I've never been an accountant. I don't know what an accountant job is like, right? Yeah, you're dealing with numbers. But then you kind of look at it the other side, too. I mean, you have people who, if you're uh, doing the numbers and they're not happy with their numbers, you get shit on, right? <laughs> yeah. It seems you just kind of just treat each other as humans yeah. with a certain amount of dignity and also gratitude. Yeah. But you didn't, how many times did you get thanked while you were working? Very few. Very few. Very few times even from um, the upper echelon. Like, you know, you have your days at, um, how do I say it, special health care day or whatever, and that was your thank, right? So what's special health care day? Um. You know, those are days gone by long ago. You know, where they give you a free meal or, you know. Oh, those kind of those appreciation of, days. Yeah, appreciation days, right? So that would be, a, that was the only time that they kind of recognized you, you know, which is which is good. I mean, you know, but it, it's, I, I guess I look at it, it shouldn't just be that day, one time day or two times a day per year, whatever, right? Um it should be on a daily basis, somebody coming and saying, you know what? You did a good job today. Yeah, right? or just something small. A thank you. Yeah. <laughs> should we call it? Yeah. <laughs>